Hello, and welcome to another episode of Justice Rising, where we explore how we can work towards liberation, healing, and transformation one conversation at a time. I'm your host, Samantha Yannity. What if the church became a space of mutuality, was grounded in a deep practice of community, and was an experience of God's unending love? On this week's episode, I sit down with Reverend Dr. Mark Bizzetti-Jones to close out our three-part Lenten series on iconography, exploring these themes and how sacred imagery can help us experience the universality of God. Thanks for being part of this process. It's an honor to be with you. I'm delighted. And as I said, feel very honored to be part of this conversation. My biggest question is about this icon because we had um, an issue for our justice pub- publication called A Matter of Spirit on women in the church and we used the icon by Kelly Lattimore, the Trinity, and I saw that you commissioned it. Can you tell me about this piece and why you commissioned it and what was your vision for it? I am a literal believer in certain aspects of scripture. And I say that with caution and with love. So I'm a literal believer in certain aspects of scripture. One of the passages or one of the selections of scriptures that I actually take literally and dearly is that passage that reminds us that we were made in the image and likeness of God. Hmm. And for me, when I hear that, it speaks to the universality of God and it speaks to the divine wisdom of God. In this sense, that passage acknowledges the dignity and the beauty of every single human being. And so when I take that passage literally, it gives me great joy to search for art and to search for anything that portrays and dignifies the image of God in every human being, no matter that person's race, no matter that person's ethnic background, no matter that person's religion. And so for me, there is so much talk about the Trinity. And the great thing about the concept of the Trinity is that in the spiritual understanding of the Trinity is that sense that there is community, there is compassion, and there is unending love amidst the differences. So let me say that again. The, the image of the Trinity speaks to an unending love, an unending compassion, and an unending joy amidst the differences. Because when we speak of the Trinity, we're talking about three individual being, three very different being meeting in mutuality, meeting in self-respect, and meeting in love. And so for me, when I think of depicting the Trinity, I wanted to call upon an artist, call upon a writer, call upon an illustrator of icons who could represent 
our sense of the Trinity in ways that this depiction could speak to this profound literal meaning of God being made in our image and likeness. So for me, it was important that a black person looking at the Trinity could see himself, herself, itself represented in the Trinity. That a person, Asian and Latina, could look at this depiction of the Trinity and see himself, herself, themselves, itself in it. And that an Asian, a Caucasian person could also look within this representation of the Trinity himself, herself, themselves. So again, that looking on this icon and this icon looking at us, that we could see this deeper understanding of being made in the image and likeness of God. And so for me too, when you take a close look at the icon, that the icon represents more than just images of person. It also represents a lifestyle. It also represents a call. It also represents a desire for human beings to live in complete love. And so when you notice the table, so there's a table that is set. And on this table is the very by now familiar representation of the LGBTQI community. So the table is set with a tablecloth that represents the LGBTQI community. Because again, within this community, for me, is that profound sense of the Trinity too, because every race, every, every human being is also part of this, of, of this community. So I, I wanted also to capture that sense that our sexuality, that our cultural expression of self, our emotional expression of self is captured in the sense of God's ongoing community. And then finally, and I'll say this and I'll open you up to another question because if you wind me up, I'll keep talking. <laughs> oftentimes when we think of food, and again, I would say this is probably more within the Christian context. And, you know, again, keep in mind that this understanding of food as part of a way of experiencing God and experiencing life on a deeper sense is just so universal. So it's not just the Christian experience. This experience of food as a way of meeting God, as a way of knowing God, is a universal spiritual principle. But oftentimes within the Christian church, this meal is represented by bread and wine. And I wanted to include this concept of Trinity. Instead of just simply putting bread and wine, I had Kelly Latimore illustrate wheat, which is bread in its initial form, to remind the viewer and to remind the person who is looking at this icon and to remind the person who is being looked on by this icon that we have work to do. And this work of celebrating God being in our image and likeness is a very important one. And again, when you look at this icon, unlike the, the icons 
before this one are in representation of the original Russian icon. The, the three persons are holding hands. And that was something that I wanted Kelly Latimore to include and get right, is that we do not stand alone. And sometimes we stand together, but standing together with our hands given to each other takes being together in a whole new meaning. And so another message of the, the icon is the giving of hands, that hands are held, and that the hands facing the outside world are invitational, are also open, including and inviting the person who is looking at this icon and who is being looked at by this icon to join this community of love, to join this community that celebrates that every human being is in the image and likeness of God. Yes. What I was compelled by and what drew me into it, why I also can't stop looking at it is because I feel like the fullness of God is in all these expressions that are illustrated in them, that we become more of who God called us to be when we include all these different things because I feel traditional for lack of a better word icons that we've seen that are publicized that are in cathedrals that are like shaping the way at least in North America the way that we've seen representations of God is very limited to who God is and who we are as divinely shaped and made individuals. I feel like when we have limited images of God, we don't really experience all of our own fullness or each other's fullness. I like that. Love the way you put this thought, this question together. Love the way you put this limited image because when you think that for centuries, Upon centuries, we have been fed a limited image of God. And, and, and when you think of that, I mean, that in itself is blasphemy. Mm -hmm. That in itself is blasphemy for the church, for religious, for spiritual people to give limited images of God to me is so blasphemous. Which brings me to another element of this depiction of the Trinity. We started our conversation with this. There are three women. There are three women. And they're also within the craft that you can get a clear sense that they're women, but they are, that the images are done in such a way that it's also invitational. I, I, I think a, a closer look and a closer look at the craft and, and what Kelly and I wanted to demonstrate, it's that the female is obvious. Female is present. But also, unlike the other limited images of God, where oftentimes you couldn't find yourself invited into this, I think there is a profound sense that the male, the female, the androgynous, the unknown, the searching 
in terms of our sexuality, the searching in terms of discovering who we are is included in this image. And yes, yes, I think all of us as artists, all of us who appreciate art, all of us who appreciate and celebrate the divine presence of God, we must make it our vocation to expand the image, the understanding, and the teaching about who God is and what God represents. And a big part of that, a big part of that is for us to move away from this representation of God as white and God as male. And a big part of, of the work that we are called to do, our vocation as artists and creators of arts and commissioners of arts and people who look at art and people who have art look at them, that our number one task with spiritual art is to ensure that we move away from this whiteness of God and this maleness of God, because nothing could be further from the truth. Again, we do this and we take this seriously, not to diminish whiteness. Nobody has anything against white. Because I think as community, as family, we celebrate who we are. What we would be against would be white supremacy. What we would be against would be any kind of white depiction that claims to be more authentic than any other representation of who God is. And yes, we're not against whiteness, but we're against white supremacy. We're not against maleness, but we're certainly against any kind of misogyny that leads to the oppression and the downpression of women in our world and in our church. So anything that downpresses uh, women, anything that downpresses other ethnic groups, anything that downpresses the other, this icon and hopefully all the work that we celebrate in art will stand against any kind of downpression. Amen. Following up with that, what would it look like to have a fully just and equitable world? What would the church look like to you? Wow, that is a great question. I think a fully just and equitable world will certainly be a place where love, compassion, respect, and care are foremost. Love, compassion, respect, and care are foremost. When we think of the original and the earliest Christian communities, the earliest Christian communities were known for their love of each other. They were known for taking care of each other, that everyone within the community was respected and loved. And going back to this sense of Trinity, part of the understanding of Trinity is this. A community 
in which every individual is respected, loved, interdependent, dependent on, independent, respected, and love. And so now more than ever, I believe the Christian community and all spiritual communities, because again, part of the concept of the Trinity and part of the beauty of this icon, I believe, is showing the universality of God. I like to remind people that God is not a Christian. God is not a Christian and God has no favorites. God is not a Christian and God has no favorites. God loves the world. And so when we live from a place where every human being is celebrated, when we live from a place where the needs and the concerns of every human being is attended to, we surely demonstrate a, a new concept of what we can be and who we're called to be. Now, keep in mind, there is no perfect world. I don't think we will ever get to a place where we are free of, of suffering and pain and struggle and disappointment and heart in, in this world as we know it. We will never get to that place. But the place where we can get to is a place where the one who is broken is attended to, where the one who feels lost and betrayed is attended to with love and compassion. And the one who feels that there is nothing is attended to, accompanied, and promised that the community will stand with, stand by, and stand for that person. And this ultimately is the definition of the Trinity. This ultimately is the definition of spiritual community, where all are welcome, all are invited in, and the goal of the community, the goal of those who invite people into this community is a promise to pay attention to those who are the lost, the least, the ignored, and the forgotten. It's really beautiful. It reminds me of, I'm probably going to misquote, but when Fanny Lou Harper spoke about liberation, I cannot be fully liberated until I liberate others. Amen. Absolutely. 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 And again, if I go back to the image of the icon and truly hope that the viewers, those who are listening and those who are participating in this conversation will get a sense to see it, that part of the expression of, of this icon is an invitation to the, the person who is looking at the icon and to all those who may even hear about the icon to know that they are invited into this 
community, invited into the love, invited to be a part of. Because I think that's the that's the greatest human sin and the greatest human suffering and the greatest human pain when we feel excluded, when we feel as if we're not welcome, when we feel as if we're not invited into something. You can have all the education or all the experience or all the wealth in the world, but if there's no invitation, then how much more profoundly does that stick with you of I'm excluded from the space? And I think that's what Christ did in his ministry is like even the tax collectors or whether they were day laborers or the wealthiest men in society or women, he still gave them an invitation. When you look at when you look at the ministry of Christ, it's fascinating and it's important for us to remember that what the evangelists did was to show that one of the first acts of Jesus was to call, was to invite others to follow him. And when we imitate Christ, and I like to remind people that the word Christ means the anointed. When we meet the anointed, the first sign of the anointed is this ability to invite others in invite others into this fellowship. And as I said, one of the first acts that we see in in Jesus is Jesus inviting people into his company, inviting people into his fellowship, and then giving them, giving them the mandate of inviting others. And again, as I said, for me, that's one of the most powerful things we captured in this icon of the Trinity that sense that every human being is invited. Every part of creation is invited into this experience of God. What you just said about invitation, maybe think about his first miracle was at that wedding feast of Cana. And we think it's like, I was thinking about how people used to joke about the turning the water into wine and he's like party Jesus. But what he's doing is He's, it's a celebration, it's a feast, and this invitation that we have is a celebration of our beings and of love and in connectiveness. And I think that's fundamentally like what we should be striving for is this invitation. Absolutely. And part of, you, you mentioned that first miracle of the wedding at Canaan. What many people oftentimes miss as the message of this first miracle, that it wasn't done for believers. There wasn't a test of purity. There wasn't a test of authenticity of faith. There wasn't a test for orthodoxy. What Jesus did was to provide wine for every person who wished to take it. And again, part of what we remember when we try to to follow Christ is to act. An inclusive expression 
an inclusive word that welcomes every human being bar none without qualification. And so if we can think of our, our mission, if we can think of our vocation, if we can think of our call as always living in the footsteps of this first miracle, and that all that we do becomes a universal invitation without qualification. So a universal invitation without qualification for every human being. That's how Jesus rolled and that's how we should roll. I wanted to ask a question about your writings. You write and reflect on taking us on a different road, but on spirituals. And I was really curious about what inspires you. And is that a way that you have encountered the divine? Yes, that's a great, that's a great question. So lately I've been doing a lot of research on the spirituals and the experience of slavery in the United States and throughout the Americas. And increasingly, I am touched and drawn to the expression of faith from the enslaved people. I've written two books. One is a Lenten meditation called Never Said a Mumbling Word. So Never Said a Mumbling Word, which is to meditate on a spiritual each day during Lent. And a book that just got published last year is Face to the Rising Sun, Reflections on Spirituals and Justice. So Face to the Rising Sun, Reflections on Spirituals and Justice. Because I believe that the spirituals speak to the profound faith of the enslaved. What it speaks to is that they saw in themselves Jesus Christ. They saw in their own suffering the unjust treatment of the suffering servant of Isaiah and the suffering of Jesus. They saw in themselves the suffering, the redemption, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so the spirituals are testament to faith in the midst of suffering. And so I do believe that today, this world, this generation can learn a lot by paying attention to the spirituals. We learn that, first of all, these were enslaved people singing these spirituals, and that calls us to ensure that we never enslave anyone again. So that profound invitation, the spirituals remind us not to enslave others. The spirituals also remind us that we can be faithful in the midst of suffering. The spirituals are not just an acceptance of slavery. The spirituals are radical proclamations mm -hmm. that slavery is wrong. 
Mm. When we cry out in faith, when we profess our faith, what we are saying is that anything that is sinful, everything that is oppressive is not of God. Some people might have guessed this, but I'm from Jamaica. We always say we're chanting down Babylon. We're chanting down Babylon, meaning we're singing against oppression. We're singing against downpression. We're singing against anything that, that limits the value of human life. And so you could say that the spirituals are chants against oppression. And when we chant against oppression and downpression, we also invite people to enter into the struggle knowing, and again, this is what the spirituals profess, that God does not like ugly, that goodness is greater than evil, that truth is stronger than any lie that we can tell, and that death does not have the last word. And so the spirituals are a testament to an unshakable faith in God, an unshakable belief in the God who liberates us all. And liberation may be long in coming, but it is sure. Liberation may take time, but it will happen. And even as we wait, for God's liberation, we can point to God's justice and we can point to God's desire for a world that is compassionate, a world that is beautiful, and a world that is loving. Yeah, absolutely. I, When you were describing these spirituals as a means for naming oppression, calling for justice. It reminds me of what James Cone writes in The Cross and the Lynching Tree about how we can't see the redemptive cross or we can't see this suffering Christ until we look at injustice, that we look at the lynching tree, that we look at how we have taken the crucifix, taken the um, suffering Christ off of the cross and just made the the cross that we wear around our neck as a passive or downplayed image of, of what really occurred at the crucifixion and what really happens through redemption and through liberation. Yes. You bring up a great point because on so many levels, like part of the great crisis of the American existence today is trying to figure out how to respond to slavery and how to respond to that great human sin committed in the name of God and committed against so many millions and millions of brothers and sisters. And so we know that there is no redemption without facing the evil. We know that 
there is no grace without looking squarely at the disgrace. And so it's very important for us. And I think this is why even the spirituals and that icon in terms of how it invites people in. It's important that we always know that true spirituality invites us to face reality. We don't deny reality. So we face reality. We name the sin. Face reality, name the sin, and then we claim the love. Mm -hmm. And so for us as spiritual people, and we're talking about all our allies, and again, going back to that icon, including the whole world, we're all allies together. Black, white, no matter who we are, no matter what ethnic ground, we come together and we name slavery as a great sin of our human existence and we seek healing. And so let us not be ashamed of speaking truth to power. Let us not be ashamed of naming the fact that the church was wrong, society was wrong, humanity was wrong in allowing slavery to go on for so many years, okay? So we can name the reality, we can claim the truth without shaming or blaming each other. I think this is part of the important work that we have to do today, part of the important work of healing, that to shame or to blame others robs us from the liberation, robs us from the redemption and the healing that we need. And so we have to name the truth. We have to name the truth of the spirituals, and we have to name the truth. We have to say that slavery was wrong. We have to say that segregation was wrong. And we have to say that any form of discrimination, any form of racial oppression, any form of injustice based on somebody's difference is as wrong today as it was during slavery. And that's why we sing the spiritual. Thank you for sharing all of that wisdom with us. This has been incredible to hear you you speak and share because I feel like it's very important for us to have an understanding of the significance of naming, like you said, speaking truth to power and not being ashamed of that. Amen. And it takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of encouragement. And so again, part of the truth of that icon and the message of that icon is we work best when we work together and when we work in community. And so the work of justice still exists. The call of compassion still exists. And the journey towards liberation and inclusion is as important today as it ever was. So let us continue to find ways to work together, live together, celebrate together, 
and bring about God's justice, God's inclusion, and the reign and the love and the community of God. Let us do that work together. Thank you for joining us today and journeying through this Lenten series with us over the last few weeks. Tune in next time when I chat with environmental activist Luke Hinkle and hear his story about his efforts to stop Line 3. If you liked this episode and want to hear more like it, hit the subscribe button and listen on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.